Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Well, as this season of Advent continues and we draw ever closer to the manger of Bethlehem, can it be said that you and I have truly embraced the miracle of Christmas? Or do we continue to live in a posture of doubt? Continuing our current Advent and Christmas sermon series, all about reclaiming Christmas in our lives and living. And based on the story of Zechariah from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, here's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Miracle. What would you think if I were to say to you that the first baby of Christmas was not, in fact, Jesus? And what if I were to suggest that the miracle of Jesus' birth began to unfold long before that holy night when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, even before the angel Gabriel brought the news of his coming to Mary? How about if I told you that the true and complete untold story of Christmas actually has to do with an old man, an old man who discovers that where God is concerned, it's never too late to have a baby? Now, lest you think I'm offering up some kind of revisionist version of the gospel story, this is, in fact, how Luke begins his nativity story. And while it's not a part of the story we spend a whole lot of time on as Christmas draws near, I would suggest to you that this particular text is crucial to our understanding of the miracle of Christ's coming. Because with God, that which comes before has everything to do with what's to come. Walter Wangeren, Jr., in a wonderful little book of meditations that's entitled Preparing for Jesus, explains this very well when he writes that every present moment is well-rooted in the past. Even the miracles of God, so sudden-seeming, have been nurtured in love through the ages to the very moment of their appearing. God, Wangeren goes on to say, is the God of history, weaving its past and its future together designing the times by overseeing the intricate patterns of human events, granting meaning to the whole of humankind, and thereby making any single moment also incandescent with meaning. Even so did God prepare for the entrance of the Savior into the world. Even so, in Luke, do these few verses about one humble old man indicate the miraculous coming of the infant Jesus. His name was Zechariah. It's a Hebrew name. That means God remembers. Zechariah was a temple priest married to a Levite by the name of Elizabeth, and both, as Scripture succinctly puts it, were getting on in years. Now Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth had long prayed for a child, but this had never come to pass, and now they were much too old to even consider such a thing. So Zechariah's life pretty much revolved now around serving God and serving God by taking care of the temple according to faith and tradition. Now, most certainly there was honor in that, to be sure. But even Zechariah would have said that there really wasn't anything all that remarkable about him or his life or what he did for the temple. But then came the angel. As Luke picks up the story, Zechariah is at the temple, 
lighting evening incense at the altar of God, at the place deep within the temple called the Holy of Holies, making ready for the prayers of the people to God, the people who were all assembled outside. This was a sacred duty for which Zechariah had been chosen by lot to perform, and he was ready for it. But what Zechariah was not prepared for was what was about to happen in that moment. Luke tells us that there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And if that weren't enough, this angel of the Lord was calling him by name, Zechariah, Zechariah. And of course, Zechariah was terrified by this, because if there was one thing that every temple priest understood, it was that one could never expect to experience the glory of God in such a fashion as this and live to tell the tale. And yet, this angel was there, and this angel was different. Not only was this angel bringing comfort in the midst of his fear, but was also bringing incredible news. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, the angel said, for your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. It's a divine gift, not only to this couple, but also a gift to the world. This child who would not only be a joy and delight to his parents, but one for whom many would rejoice at his birth. One who would grow up to be a prophet filled with the Holy Spirit, a messenger to come to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. His name, the angel said to Zechariah, would be John, which means God has given grace, and he's the one we've come to know in all of his leather-belted, locust-eating glory as John the Baptist. Now, keeping in mind here this idea of how the past and the future intermingle in God's plan, think for a moment about all the connections here. How Zechariah and Elizabeth bring to mind another biblical couple, Abraham and Sarah, two people who were also of advanced age and yet were promised the blessing of children. Think about how in both cases the promises of the past are fulfilled, while the bright promise of a future is set in motion. And think about how God's ultimate plan is being revealed slowly, gradually, in and through seemingly unrelated circumstances and in the hearts and lives of God's faithful people. Or consider the fact that in just a few short months, Elizabeth's young cousin, a girl who was named Mary, would come to visit her in the hill country of Judea, bringing amazing baby news of her own. And that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her own womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Or, for that matter, consider how many, many years out from then, those two children will meet again as adults on the edge of the River Jordan, and one would baptize the other. Yes, amazing things were starting to happen. And there in the temple of, in the presence of old Zechariah, God's amazingly graceful miracle in Christ was just starting to unfold. And how does Zechariah respond to all this? <laughs> well, how do you expect he'd respond? I mean, not only has the angel of the Lord appeared to him, not only is he being told that he's going to have a son when such a thing could never, ever happen, 
but also that the Son is going to have a name and a purpose and a link to God's sure and certain promises to a world that's desperately aching for the coming of a Messiah. This is news of monumental cosmic importance. The hope of the whole world has just been announced to him in the temple of the Lord. And what does Zechariah say to all of this? He says, no, no way. This can't be. Get out of town. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, mind you, that's, that's not exactly the biblical translation. As we hear it in Luke's gospel, it's, well, how will I know that this is so? But friends, make no mistake. Zechariah has an answer that's dripping with utter and unrestrained disbelief. The message translation of this text actually cuts to the heart of it. Do you really expect me to believe this? I mean, no matter that this is Gabriel, sentinel of God speaking, Zechariah is not buying it. And honestly, I suspect that most of us can understand why. I mean, old people having babies, little kids growing up to be messengers heralding the coming of the Messiah. Really? God coming into the world? I mean, for that kind of thing to happen, it would have to be a miracle. And miracles just don't happen every day. Not for Zechariah, anyway. And certainly not for you or me. Well, you know what happened next. Gabriel finally says, well, it's all true, Zechariah, but since you're not going to believe me, you're going to be unable to say a word about it, or anything else for that matter, until the day of your son's birth. Maybe this will remind you that every word I've spoken to you will come true in time, God's time. So now Zechariah can't even share this experience he's had with anyone, much less announce it to all of those who are praying for a Messiah outside the temple. And sure enough, if you read ahead in Luke's gospel, it isn't until months later and little John the Baptist is born that Zechariah's mouth is open and his tongue freed and he begins to speak. I love this part of the story. I always have to wonder what that experience must have been like for Zechariah to finally be able to talk about all this after so long. But I, the best part about that story for me is that when he finally does start talking, the first thing Zechariah does is to sing it, to sing out in wholehearted praise and thanksgiving, as if he's making up for lost time. Now, at last, Zechariah quite literally embraces this utterly unlikely miracle in his life. And he's compelled to sing and shout to everyone everywhere about what God has done and about what kind of child this little John was going to be and, and the kind of adult that he was going to become. This is a great story. It's kind of a Christmas story prequel, if you will, one that gives the events of the Nativity a somewhat broader perspective. But even more than this, Zechariah's story serves to remind us of how unlikely and miraculous a thing Christmas really is, and of our need, most especially in this time of waiting and watching, to embrace for ourselves this miracle of what God has done 
and the continuing miracle of what God promises yet to do. Remember, in this season of Advent, we are called not only to prepare ourselves for celebrating the birth of Jesus, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, to prepare our hearts and lives for Christ's return in God's time. There's a very simple verse of Scripture, a stated promise that comes at the very end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible. The words are this, Surely I am coming soon. And that's a truth we proclaim as Christians, the promise of faith that's central to the miracle of Christmas. I am coming soon. But in that proclamation, there exists a question, a question for each one of us. And the question is this, what are we to do with this promise? Do we let this miracle of the Christ child fill up our being? Do we have it directly inform our celebration of this and every season of the year? Will this miracle make all the difference in what we choose to say or do with and around others? Will we, like Zechariah before us, end up singing and shouting and living like we believe? Do we truly embrace the miracle to come? Or is the truth that we live in the posture of doubt? Do our attitudes and behaviors deny the possibilities of what God can do in the world and in our hearts? Do we carry ourselves in this life? Worse, do we carry ourselves as Christians in such a way that says this is all there is and that can ever be, and that miracles can never ever happen? Are we one of those people who looks at what God sets before us only to respond, if you show me and prove it, then I'll believe it and support it? Well, if that's the case for you, then I would suggest that we need to reclaim the miracle. Because not only does reclaiming the miracle bring us closer to Christmas, it brings us closer to Christ himself. Now, granted, I think we all understand that doubt is part of how we're wired as people, and and I'll be the first to tell you that there are times when a healthy bit of skepticism is not altogether a bad thing. But Zechariah's story warns us that when we let our doubts become a sign of our mistrust in God's promises, we risk losing the possibility of what God can do for us, what he can do within us, and what he can do through us through those promises. And that would be tragic, for these promises of God are precisely what gives us what we need to face the challenges of our lives in this world. It's what will drive us in daily matters of faith, courage, and love. It's what will lead us along the pathway of God's kingdom. My friends, it's crucial in these Advent days, and most especially in these times of uncertainty and doubt in which we live, that we just take a moment to step back and behold Again, just for a moment, the bigger picture, if you will. The bigger picture of how God is working his purpose out. Because when we do that, we will find that God is indeed still speaking and that all things are moving by God's intent towards the ultimate good. And we will hear and see an affirmation 
of Christ's own spoken promise. Yes, I am coming soon. May our response to that promise ultimately be the same as that of that little baby who grew up to be John the Baptist, preparing the way, preparing the way of our hearts, embracing the true miracle that's to come. For when we do that, to quote Walter Wangren again, our joy, our present beauty, our complete sense of assurance and belonging, these will be the signs of God's trustworthiness and of our trust in God, signs of his love until he comes in glory. He comes soon and very soon, beloved, soon and very soon. So let us live expectantly unto that coming. Let us embrace the miracle with lives of faith and joy. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Miracle, part of our Advent sermon series at East Congregational Church that we're calling Reclaiming Christmas. And now as this sacred season continues, I would love to extend an invitation to you to join us for worship at East Church. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. At this and every time of the year, I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.